It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm flying solo for today's podcast, which will be to review Napoli's first loss of the season. This episode will be a little bit shorter than our normal episodes are because I'll be back in a day or two with another episode to preview our match on Sunday against Sampdoria. So let's get right into it. As you know, we lost 1-0 on a second half goal by Edin Dzeko. It was the second time in as many seasons that Dzeko scored a critical goal against us early in the second half. I'll talk more about him in just a moment, but I want to start with the starting lineups. Simone Inzaghi basically started with the same lineup that we were expecting. We knew before the match that Marcelo Brozovic would not be in the squad, which is why Henrik Mkhitaryan started in the midfield. We knew that Edin Dzeko and Romelu Lukaku were going to start to Lautaro Martinez returned to Milan very late after celebrating his World Cup victory in Argentina. But the one surprise, if you can call it that, was Matteo Darmian starting over Denzel Dumfries at right wing back. There were some rumblings about that before the match because apparently Dumfries was not fully fit. But even if Dumfries was fully fit, the speculation before the match was that Inzaghi would start Darmian because he was better suited to defend Paraselia on Napoli's left wing. Meanwhile, Luciano Spalletti made two changes compared to our predicted starting 11, and both were at the back. One of those changes was to start Matthias Oliveira at left back over Mario Rui. I was expecting Mario Rui to play simply because Oliveira returned from vacation rather late. Ironically, I think Spalletti might have started Oliveira thinking that he would have been better suited to defend Denzel Dumfries, but Inzaghi started Darmian instead. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I thought Oliveira played well, but Mario Rui is probably our best crosser of the ball. He already has six assists on the season. One of the few chances we had in this match was in the second half where Cavada dribbled into the area and played the ball back to Oliveira. Oliveira crossed the ball to Osiman at the second post, but there was so little pace on the cross that Osiman couldn't head the ball. He had to take it down on his chest, and then Chalanoglu got between him and the ball before Onana closed him down. So I couldn't help but wonder if Mario Rui might have played a better cross in that situation. The other change was to start Amir Rachmani over Juan Jesus. Like many of our players, Rachmani looked a little bit rusty. That was to be expected after such a long injury absence. Now, obviously, he got beat on the goal. I'll break that down in a moment. But otherwise, I actually don't think Rachmani had a terrible match. Even though I had Juan Jesus in my starting 11, I'm not certain that he would have been better than Rachmani. And I'm not certain that he would have prevented Jekyll from scoring that goal. I also saw a lot of people questioning whether it was the right decision to start Zielinski and Angisa because neither of them were effective in this match. I think that's a lot easier to say after the match. We started the season with 14 wins and 2 draws playing with a midfield trio of Lobotka, Angisa, and Zielinski. That is without a doubt our strongest midfield so it's hard to argue against them starting. Now, you might say that given the circumstances, namely that both players were at the World Cup, neither should have started. That was my logic for predicting Mario Rui and Matteo Politano to start over Oliveira and Chucky Lozano. However, a case could be made that the players who were at the World Cup were actually more fit to play than the players who were not because they've played competitive football more consistently. We saw Milan play Teo Hernandez, Rafael Leao, and Olivier Giroud against Salernitana, and all three played really well. Granted, Salernitana is nowhere near the level of Inter. Also, don't be fooled by the play of Elif Elmas and Tangi Ndombele off the bench. They played well, don't get me wrong, and I'm very happy that they did. But that doesn't mean that they would have played better than Angisa and Zielinski from the opening minute. In fact, from the games they have started this season, there's very little evidence to suggest that they would have. I could just imagine the criticism of Spalletti had he started in Domble and Almas over Ngisa and Zielinski and still lost 1-0. I think the one player that Spalletti might have regretted not starting is Giacomo Raspadori. Now again, we could say that he also looked better because he was fresh off the bench, but given how well Raspadori played in our friendly matches, he may have been a better option. Raspadori does seem to have the mental strength that a player like Zielinski often lacks. He had our best chance of the match. Unfortunately, Onana was well positioned to make that save. Even if he didn't start, perhaps Spalletti should have made that change at the half rather than in the 65th minute. Now, I get the logic of not making any changes at the half because the score was still nil-nil and usually the coach wants to see if his halftime talk works before he makes any substitutions. Early in the second half, we saw Cavada playing with a bit more freedom to roam and he was drifting into the middle of the park more. I think that was Spalletti's way of adding some more creativity and some unpredictability to the Napoli midfield, which was really being shut down by that Inter 3-5-2. However, I think a pretty good case could be made that we should have still made some changes at the half because we were very fortunate to go into the break all level. 
Inter had three or four huge chances in the first half alone. The first was in the opening minutes when Lukaku crossed to the second post, but Di Marco missed from a tight angle. I think Dzeko might have gotten a slight touch on that cross and that might have thrown Di Marco off just enough to miss the target. There was the Darmian chance just past the midway point of the half where he shot over the bar from point blank range. And then there was the Lukaku chance five minutes before the break that finished narrowly over the bar. There was also the save that Meret made on Di Marco from point blank range. Di Marco was called offside, but the replay appeared to show that Kim played him on. I suspect that had that ball gone in, a VAR review would have given the goal to Inter. So even though we went into the break nil-nil, I think we saw enough in the first half to warrant a more drastic change than simply telling Cavada to play more centrally. Now, as Napoli fans, we're naturally going to focus on what we failed to do, but I think we do need to give Simona Inzaghi and Inter a lot of credit for how well they played. Given the circumstances, this was probably their best performance of the season. I think they had a very clear game plan, and I think they executed it very well. That game plan was essentially to defend and counter. Now, on a positive note, the fact that Inter set up to play that way against us is a huge sign of respect for Napoli. If you think back to a season or two ago, that's how Napoli used to set up to play against the top clubs in the league. It's just unfortunate that when we've set up to defend and counter Inter won, and then when Inter set up to defend and counter, Inter still won. But it was quite evident that Inter were content to let us have more of the ball. We finished the match with 63% ball possession, but it was largely sideways passing. After we just barely weathered the initial storm in the first 10-15 to 15 minutes of the match, Inter set up in a mid-block, sometimes even in a low block. They had all 10 players behind the ball. Dzeko and Lukaku often defended in their own half, and those wingbacks dropped, which really crowded the midfield. I did a Q&A for SerpentsofInter.com, and one of the questions was, what are Napoli's strengths and weaknesses? Under the weaknesses, I said that Napoli tend to struggle against teams near the bottom of the table because they typically park the bus and take away the space. That is basically what Inter did when we were in possession. That forced us to play the ball out wide to the wings, which is exactly what Inter wanted. Naturally, when you have the ball on the wings, you're going to cross it into the area. Osimen is an aerial threat, but it was always going to be difficult for him to win the ball in the air with the likes of Bastoni, Acerbi, and Skriniar defending the Inter box. I thought all three of them were excellent. Acerbi did a fantastic job of shutting down Osimen, but Skriniar for me was the best player in Inter's backline. He helped to shut down Cavada, as well as eating up a whole bunch of those crosses into the area, which is especially impressive considering he is in the final six months of his contract. There's been plenty of talk in the media about that, but he didn't let the off-the-field talks distract him from his play on the field. And then Inter were smart in how they approached this match offensively as well. Early on, we saw a lot of long balls and balls over the top to Lukaku. Now, Lukaku didn't have his best performance, but I think we did get a glimpse of the player who was so dangerous for Inter two seasons ago. Lukaku's greatest asset is his strength, and we saw that in the first half. He created the Di Marco and Darmian chances with his hold-up play. 
and he got behind our back line on a couple of occasions. Now, he tired out in the second half, but that is to be expected because he hasn't played much this season. In terms of Inter's attack, I shared a Twitter thread from a gentleman named Francesco Gallardo, who did a short tactical assessment of the match, which you can also find at centrosud24.com. I think Francesco made a number of good points in that thread. One was he acknowledged that Spalletti had anticipated this style of attack from Inter. In his pre-match press conference, Spalletti specifically noted that Inter would occupy our two center backs with their two strikers, and that is exactly what they did. Kim and Rachmani spent most of the match marking Jekyll and Lukaku. Spalletti also noted that Inter would likely use their width and attack with the fifth, which is a reference to Inter's five-man midfield. In other words, they would attack with their wingbacks. That's exactly what they did, including on the goal. That play started with an Inter throw-in. Mkhitaryan very cleverly let the ball roll past him to avoid the press of Anguissa, and then he played a spectacular switch to Di Marco on the wing. Now, it's very easy to say that Di Lorenzo should have been marking Di Marco tighter. In truth, Di Lorenzo did the right thing there, but the way Inter set up on that throw-in put Di Lorenzo in a bad situation. They overloaded that side of the pitch, Inter's right side, including bringing both Jekyll and Lukaku close to the touchline. Again, that dragged Kim and Rachmani to that side as well. As a result, Di Lorenzo had to shift into the middle of the park, so Di Lorenzo did the right thing there. However, that overload created a ton of space on Inter's left wing, which we saw when Mkhitaryan switched the play. It's also very easy to point the finger at Rachmani for how he got beat by Jekyll in the area. Now, Rachmani certainly deserves his share of the blame. As I said, he hasn't played in a while, so he's rusty, but a few different things happened there. First, the cross from Di Marco was pin perfect. I mentioned that Mario Rui might be Napoli's best crosser of the ball. Federico Di Marco might be the best crosser of the ball in the entire league. That cross was perfectly placed, just far enough to be out of the range of Meret, and it was whipped in with so much pace that Jekyll only needed to make contact to launch that ball into the back of the goal. He went the extra step and thumped it in with the header. The other thing that happened there is Jekyll made a very clever run. If you watch the replay again, you will see that Jekyll dummied a run towards the first post, which led Rachmani astray. Then he peeled back towards the center of the goal, which is why he appeared to be so wide open. Now, I'm not making excuses for Rachmani, but it's very difficult to simultaneously watch the player and the ball in that situation. What you typically want to do as a defender there is you want to be goal side or in front of the attacking player, but you want to be tight enough to be in contact with the player, whether it's your body in contact or if you have an arm out just to feel where he is. Rachmani fell for the dummy, so he had an eye on Di Marco, but he lost contact with Jekyll, and as a result, he didn't know where Jekyll was. Now, we can blame Rachmani for the goal, but ultimately, we didn't score any goals either, so it's not entirely his fault. Our first real quality chance didn't come until the 90th minute, when Onana made that fantastic save on Raspadori. Other than that, we only created half chances. There was the Zielinski shot in the first half where he mishit the ball from the edge of the area. 
There was also the Angisa flick late in the first half that narrowly missed the far post. By the way, both of those chances were well worked, which was a sort of positive takeaway. That is, even though it was probably our worst match of the season, we still played true to our identity, we still tried to play our game, and we had a couple of good spells here and there, we just weren't able to do that often enough in the match. In the second half, we had that Osiman chance that I mentioned earlier, there was the Kavada shot that hit the outside of the goal. He actually had a couple of players open in front of the goal had he cut the ball back there. And then there were a couple of occasions where our players' minds seemed to be caught between passing and shooting. One from Di Lorenzo that was out of the reach of Osimen, and another from Raspadori that was out of the reach of Lozano. But it was Inter's missed chances that made it feel like they dominated this match. In the end, we had 9 total shots to Inter 6, and we had two shots on target to Inter's one, but they certainly created the better chances. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, I'll talk a bit about the officiating, and I'll address what this loss means for Napoli going forward. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash pod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and at ForzaNapoliPress.com. Okay, so I want to talk about the officiating a little bit. Now, to be clear, I don't think Simone Sosa decided this match, so if there are any Interisti or fans of other clubs listening, I am not making excuses here. I think most Napoli fans agree that Inter deserved to win this match, but... I do not think Sotza had a very good match. I thought there were a number of fouls he could have called but didn't, and I thought there were a number of yellow cards he could have shown but didn't. He set the tone very early in the match. First, there was what appeared to be a clear foul by Skriniar on Cavada in the 8th minute. I suspect if Cavada went down right away, he would have gotten the call, but because he didn't, Sotza allowed the play to continue. That sent a message to both teams that he was going to let them play, which is generally fine. As long as the official is consistent, there's nothing wrong with that. However, that way of officiating does tend to benefit the team that is more physical, and Inter were clearly the more physical team in this match. Spalletti commented on that after the match. He said, we were a little bit timid when your opponent is being physical like that, you need to be physical right back to them. Sometimes you even need to take a player out and accept the yellow card just to send the message that you're not going to be bullied, but we did not do that, especially when they were bullying Cavada. Now, I don't think Sotza was particularly consistent either. There were a couple of occasions where Angisa appeared to be fouled and he held his whistle tight, including one where Bastoni appeared to shove him on the touchline. But then there were some pretty soft fouls called against us, there was one where Politano put his hand on Mkhitaryan and he tossed himself to the ground. And there was another where Zielinski went up for a 50-50 ball against Barella and the foul was called on Zielinski. Sotza seemingly sent another message early in the match which was that he was not going to give yellow cards either when Skriniar swept Cavada's feet from underneath him. Of course that doesn't make much sense, yellow card offenses are generally supposed to be black and white. I thought there were a number of occasions where Inter should have been cautioned, but they weren't. There was the foul by Barella from behind on Cavada. If that is not a yellow card, then I don't know what is. 
Now, Sosa called an offside on that play, but that should have still been a yellow card, even if the foul was committed after Cavada passed the ball. And then there was the corner kick early in the second half, where Di Lorenzo headed the ball clear at the first post, and Chalanoglu completely took out Politano on the break. Sosa stopped play for Di Lorenzo to get treatment, and it was almost as if he forgot to show the yellow card, because again, that was a clear yellow card offense. And that's not including Barella throwing the ball away after Jekyll fouled Rachmani at the hour mark. It seemed like Barella had to scream in Sotza's face multiple times just to get his first yellow card. It also didn't include Tuku Korea kicking the ball down the line after he committed a foul. Now, as I said, I don't think Sotza ultimately determined the final outcome of the match or that Inter didn't deserve to win, but those non-calls do have some impact, namely on how certain players play. A player like Skriniar can't be as physical if he is playing on a yellow card because he has to make sure he does not get a second yellow. Likewise, a player like Barella can't be as feisty or as mouthy for the same reason. Finally, there was the offside called on Cavada only two minutes into the match. I posted a screenshot of that one on Twitter because the replay very clearly showed that Cavada was onside. Now, who knows if anything would have come out of that play, but I really cannot comprehend how the officials got that one wrong. They are specifically instructed to keep their flags down on close plays, which they have been doing for a couple of seasons now, but for some reason, the assistance flag went up straight away in that instance. Only a few minutes later, Barella was clearly in an offside position just past midfield, and the officiating crew waited for him to take the shot before finally putting Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Up the flight, so that really bothered me. And then there is the video of Handanovic in the tunnel. If you haven't seen that one doing the rounds on social media, as the players were coming out of the tunnel at the start of the match, Samir Handanovic very clearly and very distinctly said, Sotza mi raccomando, fischia pochissima oggi, eh? which means, Sotza, I beg you, don't whistle too much today. Eh? Now, Handanovic did make that comment in a bit of a sarcastic tone, and I trust that Sotza is capable of officiating a match without being influenced by what the players say. But it is not a great look when, moments before the start of the match, the opposition goalkeeper says to the match official, who happens to have been born in Milano, don't whistle too much, and then the official goes on to hold on to his whistle very tightly. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is what does this loss mean for Napoli? For me, the short answer is not much, but as you know, it's not my nature to give short answers to any question, so let me elaborate. First, there is no shame in losing 1-0 to Inter at the Meazza in the first game back from a 7-week break in Serie A. Napoli did not play well, but if you look around the league, really only two teams in the top half of the table played well, Milan and Inter. 
Milan only beats Salernitana 2-1, but they missed even more quality opportunities than Inter did against us. They easily could have won that match 5-6-1. or six to one. But all the other teams struggled. Juventus easily could have dropped points to Cremonese. Cremonese had two goals ruled out in the first half. One was for a close offside, but it was the correct decision. The other was for a foul in the area, which I thought was a little bit of a soft call. Cremonese also smashed the ball into the upright in the second half, and then Juve snatched the result with a 90th minute free kick from Arkadiusz Milik of all people. Lazio looked like they were going to cruise to victory over Lecce after opening the scoring only 10 minutes into that match, but some key substitutions turned the tide and Lecce scored twice in the second half to take all three points. Roma scraped a 1-0 win over Bologna in a pretty dull match. Paolo Dybala won a penalty kick in the fourth minute, which Lorenzo Pellegrini converted. Bologna might have been awarded a penalty kick in the second half, but it wasn't given, and then in the final minute of stoppage time, Chris Smalling made a really important block on Nicholas Paitia. Then, it looked like John Lukumi's header was going to find the back of the goal, but Tammy Abraham saved the day by heading the ball off the line. Now, I haven't watched the other matches yet because there were two games on at a time. Brudinese tied Empoli, Torino tied Hellas Verona, and Fiorentina tied Monza. So all of that is to say that clearly there was a lot of rust from the World Cup break across the league, so I don't think we should panic from one poor performance against a very good team. Second, we still have a 5-point lead over our nearest competitor. We're 7 points clear of Juve and 8 points clear of Inter. At this point, I would say that Lazio, Roma, and Atalanta are probably too far back to be considered Scudetto contenders, but hey, there's still half a season to play, so a lot can change in that time. So we still control our destiny. When you start as well as we did, you can afford the occasional loss. I don't think anyone realistically expected us to go unbeaten for an entire season. The big question is, how will Napoli respond from their first loss of the season? We know Napoli have a history of collapsing right at this time of year, and we know that Luciano Spalletti has a history of collapsing right at this time of year. So I think a win over Sampdoria is an absolute must. Hopefully Roma can take some points away from Milan to give us a bit of that padding back, but I'm not really expecting it. Now, I'll preview the Sampdoria match in our next episode, which in theory should be an easy win, but they're coming off a big win over Sassuolo, and we're coming off a big loss to Inter, and that match is going to be played at the Marassi. Now, I think it was a little bit unfortunate that we had to play Inter away in our first game back. Inter away is probably the most difficult match on the fixture list, while the rest of the top teams had relatively easy opponents. Even if their wins were ugly, Juve and Roma will certainly get some momentum and confidence from their results. Hopefully we don't have a mental lapse from our result, because a loss or a draw to Sampdoria would be far more devastating than this loss to Inter was. And then after that, we have another huge match against Juventus at the Maradona. That is another six-pointer. Assuming we both win next round, then if we beat Juve, we extend our lead over them to 10 points. But if they beat us, our lead over them would be reduced to only 4 points. If you're going to lose your mind, that would be the time to do it. 
not now. We don't need to be questioning our players after they suffered their first league defeat on match day 17. I saw a lot of people questioning our right wing after the match, and I think a lot of that is just a little unnecessary right now. So that is where I will leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisketti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. As I said, I will be back in a day or two with another episode to preview our match against Sampdoria on Sunday. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.